This is Science Friday. I'm Ira Flato. Last month, the U.S. government okayed the first small modular nuclear reactor design, SMR as it's called. It's a new kind of nuclear power plant. It's not the kind of plant you might picture when you think nuclear. Gone is that massive cooling tower in favor of passive cooling. And instead of being bespoke designs, these reactors can be manufactured in a factory and hooked together. So what does that mean for the use of nuclear energy in the U.S.? Are smaller, more modular power plants the future? Joining me to talk about that are my guests. Dr. Jose Reyes is co-founder and chief technology officer at New Scale Power. That's the company behind the small modular reactor design that was just approved by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. And Christine King, she's director of the Gateway for Accelerated Innovation in Nuclear at Idaho National Lab. That's in Idaho Falls. They support R&D for a next generation of nuclear power. Welcome both of you to Science Friday. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Same here. Thank you very much. You're both welcome. Jose, tell me about this reactor design, SMR. How small are we talking about? Give me a thumbnail, if you will, please. Sure. Each of the modules uh, will produce about 77 megawatts electric. And physically, it's about 73 feet in length and about 15 feet in diameter. Now, that includes the containment as well as the reactor vessel. So it's a very different design in that regard. Instead of the tall concrete containment domes that you typically think of when you look at nuclear power, uh, we've gone to a very small steel high pressure containment vessel, which houses a small reactor vessel. And that whole package is factory manufactured. And like I said, it's about 15 feet in diameter. So it's a relatively small cylindrical uh, system. I see why it's called modular, because you make them in the factory and then you might put them together on site. That's right. Yeah. So we've got different design uh, options depending on what the customer wants. A four module plant would produce about 308 megawatts of electricity. A six module plant, uh, 462 megawatts electric. And we can go up to 12 module plant, uh, which will produce uh, 924 megawatts. So almost the gigawatt class size land. Now, I don't have to tell you that historically nuclear power plants take many years to build. Does your design speed up this process at all? It does. And so what we've done by going to uh, factory manufacturing, we've significantly reduced construction time. So while you're doing all your civil construction on site, in parallel, you're doing all your high quality manufacturing uh, in a factory. This takes us down from a five-year schedule to about a three-year schedule just by doing this in parallel. Mm -hmm. And who's this designed for? Is this going to replace something my power company would have? Or is it smaller than that? We size it with the customers in mind. And gosh, since 2008, we've been talking to about 28 utilities in the U.S. and Canada. And we kept hearing two things. They said, we have aging coal-fired plants that need to be replaced. We'd like to replace them with clean energy. And we also have the need for grid stability. We have a lot of renewables. We need something to stabilize the grid. Uh, so we sized our plants with that in mind. And so that's uh, we're getting a lot of interest globally uh, for coal-fired plant replacements in this size range. Mm -hmm. As someone who spent a couple of weeks at Three Mile Island in 1979, I am fascinated by no cooling towers, passively cooled. Tell me how that works. Yeah, the secrets in it being small. So uh, in, in this design, under the worst case conditions, uh, the reactors will shut themselves down without any operator or computer action, without the need for AC or DC power, and they'll remain cooled for an unlimited period of time without the need to add water. So this is a big breakthrough for commercial nuclear power. Uh, it hasn't been done before, but now it's approved by the uh, Nuclear Regulatory Commission. 
Christine, can you have your finger on all kinds of reactors? What are some of the other possibilities out there? And how does Jose's reactor fit into this picture? So Jose's reactor is an advancement on the existing fleet that we have. So he's continuing to use the light water reactor technology, light water being a reference to the coolant that takes away the heat from the nuclear reaction itself. But there's about two dozen companies working on different advanced reactor technologies. And there's a variety of different sizes, designs, coolants associated with that. So Right now, the things that are under development span from micro reactors producing less than 50 megawatts electric to medium-sized reactors in that 300 to 600 megawatt electric sizes. And similar to what Jose was mentioning, this is about tailoring the technology to meet the changing energy system. The other aspect of these new designs is that we will do more than produce electricity. So a lot of our industrial partners rely on high temperature process heat from fossil fuels, either coal or natural gas. And to decarbonize and give them clean energy, you need something that can operate in that same temperature range. So some of these other designs will operate at a higher temperature than what the new scale design does. And the advantage of that is what? Well, the advantage of that is when you have renewables available, you can actually use your nuclear reactor to produce process heat. You might use that heat to drive a high temperature electrolysis to produce hydrogen and other synthetic fuels to support a clean economy. Or you might use that as a direct input to build close to load. So we're talking about producing more than electricity with this new class of reactors. You know, they used to say that nuclear reactors were the most expensive way to boil water (laughs) because you're creating steam to drive a a turbine. And I hear what you're saying is that's different. And Jose, you're laughing at that. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, uh, that story has been around for a long time. You know, we typically think of nuclear power as producing steam and and being a baseload technology. Uh, but uh, this new generation of reactors is really looking to be uh, more flexible for the modern grid. And so as Christine said, uh, you know, looking at hydrogen production. So we we currently have a, a study ongoing with uh, Shell Global, and they're looking at hydrogen production uh, as a possibility for energy storage, as well as for a commodity to sell. But uh, we're also looking specifically at something we call the, the energy imbalance market. We have a lot of renewables and you need to store some of that energy during the day and then release it in the form of electricity in the evenings when renewables may not be available. So it's a very different dynamic that's occurring for this modern grid. And we're excited to be part of that. One study we did with Idaho National Lab, one of our modules coupled to this high temperature steam electrolysis uh, could produce almost 50 tons of hydrogen per day. And we're also, you're looking at desalination. That's the next big issue that we're working on. Uh, one module produced about 77 million gallons of clean water today. So the opportunities are, are, are really uh, endless. Christine, you mentioned this being a light water reactor. Uh, What about other reactors with different cooling approaches like gas or even liquid metal like sodium? Yeah, so actually there's two full-scale demonstration projects underway that are building out those technologies and will be operational in the latter part of the 2030s, 2027 and 2030. The natrium reactor is a sodium-cooled fast reactor 
that is paired with a molten salt based energy storage system to do exactly um, what Jose was mentioning, the ability to peak in the evening such that you have the, the power that you need as the sun goes down and the renewables are, are not available. This project is being built in Wyoming by TerraPower, and it's being built adjacent to a coal station. And there's a lot of good things associated with those particular choices. One, you have the infrastructure to connect to the grid. You also have the workforce from the coal station. So in terms of an energy justice perspective, for those people that have given us reliable power for 100 years from our fossil fuel plants, nuclear is a way for them to have another career. The other project that's under development and co-funded by the DOE is the X-Energy XE100. And this is a high-temperature gas reactor using triso fuel. Using what? Tri-structural isotropic particle fuel. Essentially, it is a particle of uranium that's encapsulated in three layers of carbon and ceramic coating. And so that particle in and of itself is a new fuel form. And those layers prevent the radioactive fission products from being released. So the particle itself acts as its own containment. You have anticipated my next question because... I can see my email exploding now asking, what about radioactive nuclear waste disposal, theft for terrorist attacks? Jose, how do you answer those points? Yeah, so certainly uh, early on uh, in, in these programs, you, you do a safeguards assessment. And that's something that we've done two assessments with the Pacific Northwest uh, National Laboratory. And we've also been working with the International Atomic Energy Agency. The conclusions of those studies was that these reactors, because they're low enriched, uh, really don't present a uh, threat from the standpoint of, uh, of terrorism or non-proliferation. In terms of the waste uh, that's produced, uh, we're talking about very small quantities of uh, used fuel. For our design, for example, the one that we're building uh, in uh, Idaho, that's a six-module plant. For 60 years of operation uh, with that plant, all the used fuel that's generated could be stored on 0.8 acres of land. <laughs> so it's a very small amount of, of waste that's being uh, generated from these plants. And that's over a very long period of time. And the storage is on a very small footprint. But yet again, Christine, we haven't got a permanent storage solution, a central storage solution yet, do we? No, sir, we do not. And um, however, the DOE does have active work underway to pursue consent-based siting to look at a central storage solution. I think another exciting aspect of waste for the advanced reactors is the opportunity to recycle the waste from our existing fleet for the fuel for some of these new reactors as well. ARPA-E has funded some work to look at the technologies necessary for recycling and having a centralized facility where you're bringing all of our spent fuel together would also be an excellent enabler for a recycling process. Other countries do recycle their spent fuel. They have what's called a closed fuel cycle. So we would need to make that decision that we wanted to have a closed fuel cycle and then enable the infrastructure by which to do that. But it does start, I believe, with a consolidated facility. So in the near term, our advanced reactor developers and those buyers of these reactors will need to plan for on-site storage, similar to what we do today with our nuclear waste. 
This is Science Friday from WNYC Studios. Are there any radical new designs that are waiting to be finished or testing or something that we just never thought about before? I think one of the more interesting aspects of the the class of reactors coming out today are truly in these smaller reactors, these micro reactors, and we will see two of them operational by 2025. The Department of Defense through Project Pele is looking at having a fully transportable small reactor to support their operations. The state of Alaska is looking at how a micro reactor might help with some of the more remote communities in Alaska and how to provide them reliable power. I think that is an, an exciting aspect of what's going on. I also think these medium-sized reactors and being able to support the decarbonization of our industrial sector. I think we understand in a lot of the decarbonization plans how electricity plays a role. But as a chemical engineer, if I had a highly tuned uh, chemical process for producing a polymer, so to speak, I don't think I'd really want to change my process to Um, incredibly. I just would like to get the same amount of energy I had before it just coming from a clean source. How how do you get past the NIMBY part of this? You know, not in my backyard. I I think it's a great idea, but Jose, I don't want this one in my backyard. How did you deal with that in Idaho in the the new project? Yeah, it's it's really a community-based outreach that has to happen. And that was, uh, I think there were over 120 meetings uh, with the community uh, in terms of uh, town halls and opportunities for the city councils to uh, examine what we're doing and to understand the the process that was ahead of them. What was great about those outreach was it also shared uh, what are the different energy options? Why is it important to go green in terms of clean energy sources? So I, I think those outreaches are very, very important. Uh, and that's something that UAMPS in particular has, has kind of spearheaded uh, working with NewScale for that first project in Idaho. So you have the okay to go ahead. When might we see the actual operation? Are you talking three to five years, as you mentioned before, about three years? Yeah, so we've got the next steps basically are the uh, owner, uh, UAMPS, uh, will be applying for the site permit, the construction operating license application uh, approval. Uh, So that's going at the end of this year. That's a two-year review. And then in 2025, when that's approved, construction could begin at that point. Uh, So that's uh, a three-year build from that point. So we're looking at uh, sometime in the end of 2029 uh, to get those first modules uh, delivered and fully operational, all six modules by uh, 2030. Christine, what about extending the lifetime of existing installations? I know that I think it was Diablo Canyon in California was was set to go out of business and now they've extended the life of it. Do you think we'll see more of a trend this way? Actually, we already are. So today we have 92 reactors operating in the United States at 53 different sites. Only 10% of those still have a 40-year license, which is the original license you would have on a nuclear station. 65% of them have already extended their life to 60 years. Now, if we don't extend those licenses to 80 years, we will see those plants come offline in the 2040s. And that's about 60 gigawatts of power. It is important for us to extend that fleet to give us 
um, what I would call ramp into the 2060s. We already have six plants with approval to operate to 80 years and 15 more have either at, submitted an application to extend or are expected to apply soon. You know, people are going to be worried about a, a plant that's 80 years old. Well, so, you know, I tend to think about the process of license renewal similar to the process of those milestone birthdays we all have and those doctor visits where the doctor looks at your own history and looks at your family history and in some cases just generally recommends that you do some inspections so that we make sure we understand how to manage you going forward. Doctors recommend colonoscopies for people when they turn 50. But if you have a family history, they may ask you to do that earlier and you may need to do that more frequently. Managing the, the life extension of your nuclear plant is similar to managing your own personal life extension with your doctor. Well, it's interesting that you've compared nuclear power to colonoscopies. So. Well, hopefully I don't go viral for that. <laughs> I want to thank both of you for taking time to be with me today. Jose Reyes is co-founder and chief technology officer of New Scale Power based in Oregon. Christine King, she's the director of the Gateway for Accelerated Innovation in Nuclear. That's at Idaho National Laboratory in Idaho Falls, Idaho. Thank you both for taking time to be with us today. Thank you. Thank you.